gonna pop in here for a couple minutes, I can say hello to you. Mr. Wanstaff. Dave Wanstead. You guys are sick. I'll tell you what. NFL head coach for 11 years. The Bears came in here and Dave Wanstead. There's a happy group of overachievers that have been well coached. College football national champion. A number of legends here tonight. Dave Wanstead. Super Bowl champion. Dave Wanstead. One of my, you know, really idols. Football analyst for NBC Sports Chicago. Shane. Wake up. Spigs is here. Come on, we got to have a look. Yeah, Spigs is here. It's a special occasion. Tanny, we got to have another little taste because Spigs is here. Yeah, that's a good point. That's Celebration, good. coach. That happens once a month. It's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah, that's a good that's point. Right. Oh, miss something tall and strong. Make it a hurricane before I go insane. It's only half past 12, but I don't care. It's five o'clock somewhere. Coach Dave Wanstead is the king, and he's with us right now, as he usually is, on the score. And, Coach, we're not having any bourbon. <laughs> Why not? Is it Because I'm here? Where's no, the damn bourbon? I, because Wani's not yeah. in the studio with uh, us. But, but it Coach. Doesn't, uh, it doesn't count. Bernsey, it doesn't count unless I'm there. <sighs> that, that's it. Of course. <laughs> we're not allowed to drink unless Wani's here. Um Dave, before we let you and Dan Bernstein catch up, because a lot of people really want that, genuinely, and and I'm one of them, um, I almost grabbed the bottle of Malort that we have in the office there, Jepson's Malort, the mm-hmm. Chicago classic. I've never had the taste of it in my life. Seriously? It's good. Coach, have you ever had Jepson's Malort? You know about that? Supposedly it tastes awful, but people like it? I have not. I have not. I got to be honest with you. No, I, I did... Uh... I was talking with Bradshaw this week, and I got a nice little supply, another little shipment here to the condo of some Bradshaw bourbon. So it's uh, it's all good. Oh, that's 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 good news. All right, well maybe we'll do some alert <laughs> next time you're here. But Bernsey, Dave Wanstead is yours. Catch yeah. up with him. Catch up. No, I have to say that I because you know, you know I'm I'm an avid listener to the show, so I don't I don't miss many of his appearances, and I know I I know all the I know the bit I know all of it I listen to all of it and. Well, just by just by showing up, that's half the battle. You've already moved up the ladder. Well, I, you work so hard, Dave. I mean, I just—it's amazing. You, you, every time I turn on a television, I turn on a radio. You are there, and I've got to say that there's there's so many people who who would decide instead of doing what you're doing to be on Jimmy's boat or be on your own boat and be in the middle of the Gulf. You you your your work ethic is absolutely something to be respected. Well, I appreciate that, and you know it's. Uh, uh, how, how can I describe it? I enjoy it. I guess that would be the word. Uh, if Chicago is home, I've got six grandkids. I just had three grandkids that ran out of here 10 minutes ago. They came down and had a half a day, so they went swimming in our pool in the condo. I walked on to Chick-fil-A, got everybody lunch. Uh, I got full. And, now, and, and as soon as we do this one hit, I've got, uh, I've got a little business here uh, at 5 o'clock. i got to be to downtown. So... It's Chicago has been fantastic from a personal standpoint, uh, you know, and obviously uh, doing what I, I, I do, doing what I love to do. And that's talking football and bears and uh, Co- coach Eberflus just texted me two days ago and gave me the schedule for mini camps and OTAs. So being that I'm going to be here for this winter because of some circumstances in Florida, uh, I'm looking forward to getting up to, several of their practices here in the offseason uh, after the draft. And uh, 
and taking a real close look. So he volunteered. Did you ask him or did he just? Well, no, no. We got we we got a good relationship back and forth. I know. know, I'm a fan. You know that. And uh, yeah, so it's it's all good. It's all good. Well, can you um, can you describe Dan Bernstein, Bears beat reporter for our audience, please? Dave, to the best of your, your recollection. He's not allowed to swear on the radio. No, no, no. no. Hey, now, I will do it, but I, we are on the clock here. And, and I don't know, Spig, if you want to get into any draft picks or free agents, yeah. you better you better do it because the clock's running. All so right, we, so, can, so, we can talk whatever you want to talk. Uh-huh. You want to talk Bernsey? You want to talk Duke? <laughs> Nobody wants to hear about me. Uh-huh. You know, we can do whatever you want to do, but uh-huh. I'm just giving you a heads up. All right, uh, Shane, throw a poll up uh, for the last uh, question of the interview, whether people want me to ask Wani about Bernsey <laughs> or a draft or a draft guy or something else. That, that's that's more popular probably than the draft stuff. It's, it, like, our, it's it, like our happy hour there. Well, you know? well, you tell me about the pit guy who everybody says might be kind of like Aaron Donald, this Kalijah Cansey. Um, yeah. what, 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 what would the bears be getting? And, uh, and what have you heard about him from the inside in Pittsburgh with your well, pals? Well, I've met him, you know, when I was up there this year for the uh, West Virginia, uh, the opening game of the season, I spent some time with the kid and, uh, he, he, he got a, He's a Miami kid. He, he comes from Northwestern high school in Miami, which is like six, a they're like the six, a is the highest level of football in Florida and they're competing for the state championship every year. So he come when he came to Pitt, he, the only reason he didn't get a lot of offers is because of his height. Same old story is 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 Russell Maryland and uh, you know if you mentioned Aaron Donald, same story, undersized guy, but the the guy is a playmaker. But he, here's the deal with him, he in my opinion he's not a three four nose guard. This guy's got to be playing in a 4-3 system, which the Bears play. Uh, he fits the mold. Uh, I don't want to say Warren Sapp. Our listeners might not know Warren Sapp. Mm-hmm. I'll bring it closer to home. Chris Zorich type of player. Uh, Aaron Donald type of player, okay? Uh, from an undersized guy that relies on quickness. And in this scheme of defense, in my opinion, uh, going up to their practices, talking with Coach Flus. You know, it's kind of a combination of of what we did at Dallas and a combination of what Tony Dungy did at Tampa Bay, where the inside tackles, they have to be playmakers because they're not a big blitz team. So you got to have defensive tackles that are not just big pluggers. You got to have athletic guys. So in a 4-3 scheme, uh, the, the guy can play. I mean, you know, he led the nation this year in tackles for loss. He had seven and a half sacks this year. Uh, the guy is what we would call a playmaker at the defensive line. So you're talking about a one-gap player, a three-technique, classically on the outside shoulder of the guard who you can angle depending on where you've got people positioned. Exactly. And he he can play inside shoulder of the guard, outside shoulder, give him one gap, turn him loose, and I'll tell you what, he's... You'll have a tough time blocking him one on one. He'll draw a lot. And if you got a double team him, great. That's fantastic. That means your middle linebacker's free. But, you know, he, he's a playmaker. And, you know, I didn't get hung up as much on his numbers. You know, he ran great and all that stuff. But I, I like the kid's quickness. I really do. I mean, he's not. The only reason they're putting him in a class with talking in the same verse as Aaron Donald, now, guys, is because he went to Pitt and he's about the same height. But he's not Aaron Donald. I mean, let's, you know, at this point, at this point. So you know, let, 
you know, let's not go too far on this. Something I've been thinking about, when you mentioned Tony Dungy's defense and we look at the way Eberflus runs his version of this, the the evolution of, of the Tampa 2 defense. And we've seen it, we know it, under Rod Marinelli and Lovey Smith. So Bears fans are, are, are steeped in this scheme. And yet it's changed because offenses now have so many multiple receiver packages that rather than calling that nickel guy a, you know, a sub package, it's essentially a starter and or a hybrid. How has it changed philosophically where the, your deployment of linebackers, safeties, and what we used to call classic cover two corners against some of these modern offenses that are just running so much speed at you? Yeah, the, the biggest change is it's really a two linebacker defense. You know, in the old days, we always had three linebackers. Uh, in third down or special situations, you would have to take the one linebacker out and bring in another corner or a nickel back and match up that way. Well, now that's pretty much the standard. I mean, you know, that you're going to have four down linemen and two linebackers, and then you're going to have that extra defensive back in the game. Uh, and, and then the other thing that's changed, too, is you got to have linebackers that can cover, uh, you know, because they're going to get matched up at times more in coverage than what they had in the past because they're throwing more. So uh, as as it became more of a quarterback league, it became more of a coverage league. And uh, and if you can get there with four guys, boy, now you got advantage you because now all of a sudden, boy, you can do multiple things on the back end from a coverage standpoint. And that's what the Bears are going to try to do. That's the philosophy that they have, uh, very similar to what Philadelphia did. You watch the Eagles this year, most of the time they were rushing four guys. They, uh, we know they led the league in sacks. But when you watch their coverage, they were playing one deep. They were playing two deep. They were playing four deep. They could double one guy. They, you know, it gives you a lot of flexibility in the coverage schemes when you can get home and pressure and get, you know, with four guys, that's, that's the wish list. And, and, and back, and back to my man, Cansey, you know, he was projected as a second round pick. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you come out of that combine. I, and I talked to, I'm on this 33rd team and we had some meetings, you know, with these GMs and scouts that were down there. And, and you got the big kid, you know, at Clemson, I think his name is Brace. And, and then you got the big guy at uh, Baylor and then Jalen Carter, and all of a sudden, you know, our guy Cansey has moved into the. I think the he he's a potential bottom of the first round, late late first round pick, uh, mm-hmm. just be just because of lack of defensive tackles. In yeah. this year's draft, it, it's two to one pass rushers as compared to guys that can play inside. Well, let's talk about those pass rushers, Dave. I'm wondering if you have a favorite beyond Will Anderson. You got Tyree Wilson who's oh, got yeah. incredible length, um, and he's big and strong. You got Lucas Van Ness, who is versatile and has a high, high, high motor, can play up and down the line. You got Nolan Smith, the Georgia edge, with that freakishly athletic combine, which is going to rocket him up the board. Um, yeah. So of those three, if the Bears are looking at a pass rusher not named Will Anderson, who do you like of those three? You know what? I haven't studied these guys as close as I will mm-hmm. in, the, in the next two or three weeks. Obviously, the combine just ended. Uh, I, I like Tyreek Wilson. The one, one guy that we, we didn't talk about that I really like because I watched Pitt play Tennessee this year, uh-huh. this B- Byron Young. Tennessee's got a big defensive end. This guy is a playmaker. You know, he might not be in that in that class speed-wise, 
but he's a he's an outstanding player. So, you know, there's going to be six or seven defensive ends. I mean, if the Bears do drop down and all of a sudden they had their eye on Will Anderson and he's gone, they're going to be able to get a guy later in that first round, second round for sure, that can bring some pass rushing ability to him. When I was watching the combine, I got a chance to watch some of the tight end workouts that I found really interesting, and it's a good year for tight ends. And you can say, well, the Bears have one in, in Cole Komet. And I think they do, but I, when I see Komet, I see a Y tight end. And so many teams are using dual tight end sets and, and using the, the U guy or the move guy. Do you think the Bears offense could use one? How necessary is is a pass-catching tight end outside of an inline tight end and what you think the Bears want to do well it's you know it's a real security blanket number one for your quarterback and I think we saw that as the year went on with the Bears with Justin Fields and Komet started connecting a little bit more and I think that's uh high percentage throws the ball can come out quicker uh so it's it's important you know the fullback is the position it's pretty much gone and so that combination move tight end as you just mentioned and move any a fullback a guy that can go block in line and there's a big difference between blocking in line because you're probably going to be hitting a moving target you know when you're on the line of scrimmage like commit plays and they do move commit some you know and he, and he does a good job inside but for the most part he's an he's an on the line of scrimmage tight end and you got a big physical guy lined up on it you got to block when you put that tight end in the backfield that put, that presents a lot of problems now for your defense because one, you know, he, he can be a pass catcher, he can be an inline blocker. You uh, can do a lot more things with him, run pass. You, you, you know, he, if you get a good one in there, he can do a lot of things. It, it does bring some challenges to the defense when you're trying to defend that. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that's in the plans. I, I think we got to sit back and wait and see what the Bears do. You know, offensively. Let's not lose sight. They did a 360 from what they did early in the season and helped me out here until what, that, that Thursday night game? Yep. You know, and they came back from that Thursday night game, and all of a sudden it was boots and waggles and quarterback called runs. And they, they basically said, what we're doing to drop back stuff and play action, this isn't going to get it right now. We're not there. Whether we're, it's inexperience or talents or whatever, it's just not going to happen right now. And, and I thought it was a great job by Luke Getze and those guys to say, let's do, let's do something that gives us a chance to move the ball and mm-hmm. score some points. And now, now all of a sudden you drag, you get some receivers, uh, a couple better offensive linemen, you know, they juice this offensive personnel up between draft and free agency. Now, which direction are they going to go? That is a big question. That's uh that's going to be exciting to see, I think, because it's going to give the Bears a little bit of a chance to, to kind of open things up maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, and, and be, be a lot more flexible than what they were, you know, as the season went on last year. Mike McGlinchey, the former Notre Dame tackle, is yep. um, a guy that is going to get a lot of pub, already is getting a lot of pub, and, and maybe the Bears will or, or go after him. I don't know. We just had a distressing local report from San Francisco last hour, Coach, a talk show host who – who told us how many times McGlinchey got beat and how disappointed the fans were during the course of the year. But, you know, what do you think of that guy? And what are your friends at 33rd team when you're talking about free agents? What do they think of that guy? Well, he, he had a uh, 
and uh, not a great year, an average year. He was coming off, you know, he, got, he, he had surgery last year, hurt his uh, thigh muscle or whatever it was. So he missed some of last year. But I'll tell you what, I love the guy. When he came out of Notre Dame, this guy is a giant. You know, he's 6'8". Okay, he's big cat size, uh, maybe bigger. And the guy is a tough guy. He And I know guys that coach him at Notre Dame. I know the guy that coaches him in San Francisco. And they both love the guy. Uh, tough guy, likes the game. Uh, it's important to him. Sign him. If I'm the Bears, go sign this guy. He'll make you better. I really believe that. Mm. Well, that's interesting. So you know... Is, is it Harry Heastand at Notre yeah, Dame? Yeah, Harry had him at Notre Dame, and then Chris Verser has him at San Francisco. Absolutely. And they both say that he's... They both like him. They both like him a lot. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, yep. uh, that's, that's... And they like they like his toughness. He's a smart guy. And he likes the game, you know? Uh, yeah. You know, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're looking for. But he's know? a right tackle, though. Yeah, he athletically he's probably a right tackle, absolutely. And and because of his height, he's a little bit handicapped. That's a good point. You know, he's the guy six eight, and he's like Tony Wise went out there and watched him practice in at both places. And he Tony Tony and I were talking last week about him. He said the guy is a giant. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, he's legitimate six foot eight, and uh, uh, so those guys, you know, he, he's a tackle. He's a right tackle. That's where he is. All right. Well, that that's good uh, inside stuff in terms of knowing the makeup. And if the Bears know that kind of stuff, it sure does sound like a profile that they want to go get. All right. The poll is in. The percentage of listeners who want to hear you talk about draft picks is 38.5%. Win. The percentage of people who want to hear you describe Dan Bernstein as a young Bears reporter <laughs> is 61.5%. Eight, people. Coach, and um, uh, and one person said on Twitter, he's wondering if Bernsey's wearing the same outfit today that he wore to, uh, to cover you back in the 90s. <laughs> they, they know me well. Yes. Um, so, Coach, what can you tell us about young Bernsey? Well, he graduated from Duke, and I, I thought he was going to be uh, – I thought he was there to work in a front office or something. I didn't think he knew anything about sports. Uh, he doesn't. I, I don't think I did. <laughs> I, but no, that's uh, that 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 actually Bernsey was just getting started. I don't think he was even invited. Were you invited to the press conferences? I mean, he was really the low guy in the totem pole, just getting started. I don't think Brian Harlan even invited him into the press conferences. So Bernsey and I re- really didn't have much. We didn't have much contact. I, I had bigger fish to deal with and fry than Bernsey at that point. He was just getting started, you know? He didn't know. He didn't know if it was stuffed or blown up the football when he showed up. I mean, come on, what are we talking about? Truth is, Brian Harlan couldn't have been nicer. And I, and I always tell this, Dave, if it, the, the, the person who really taught me more about football than anybody else was Tony Wise. And, oh, yeah. and I've yeah. said this, that he helped me in the, in the simplest way. And you could see why he's such a good teacher. And, and unfortunately, young reporters don't have the kind of access that we had. And they don't have when, – when you would come into the press room and be like, Bernsey, if Evan Pilgrim makes this block, the whole play's going to work. But if the whole play breaks down, the play breaks down because Evan Pilgrim missed a block. And, you know, he's, he's drawn on the notebook and learning things. And then I'd go to Tony, and, I, and I'd say, Tony, when, when these guys are yelling, out over or under and he'd say over means toward the tight end and under means away from the tight end and i said that that's it really that that's all there is to it and and little by little 
all you got to do is ask questions. All you got to do is listen to guys and talk to players. But I, but seriously, the guy that helped me learn how to watch line play and learn yeah. where the game is really played was was Tony. Well, you know what? He Tony was with me obviously the whole time. You know, forty years. And he when I left Pittsburgh, uh, he he retired in Pittsburgh and he never got married. And he's a nice houser. And he got his NFL pension, you know, eight, 16, 18 years, whatever it was in the league. And for three years after that, he was offered offensive line coaching jobs in the NFL and turned them down, just didn't want to do it. But he still, every summer, Kirk Ferentz will fly him up to Iowa. Today, I talked to him yesterday. I said, what do you got going? He says, oh, this weekend I'm flying up to Rutgers. Greg Schiano wants me to come up, you know. So he's kind of behind the scenes with offensive line coaches and still – mentoring guys and still talking about it and uh it's, it's still pretty pretty involved in it so it's uh he, he's good he, good he, for him good, he's good a for him he's, he's good. a teacher that's a way to describe him Bernsey. he would be what you call a teacher absolutely coach you're the best next time maybe we do a shot of malort give it a give it a shot yeah uh, okay let me know how you well let me know what you think okay. <laughs> i will that sounds like a challenge <laughs> all right see you guys thanks, thanks coach Dave. he's the best dave wants does the best See, people are mad at me because I've always said I like Malort, and then I get accused of being like a reverse second-level hipster because you everybody are. because everybody hates Malort. I'm just being honest with how I think it tastes. No, okay. and I say, oh, sure, Bernstein, you're the guy that likes Malort because it's fashionable to hate it, and you're just trying to cut against the grain. I, it's got sort of a grapefruit rind thing going that it fits a flavor profile. That <laughs> rind, like. rind, 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 not Ryan. <laughs> it's so nobody likes. Malort. You can tolerate Malort, but you're not going to sip on Malort. I think I got to try it before the show's over. Yeah, it's. Well, uh, it really why don't isn't... we just wait for Wani uh, next week? Uh, he's not going to try it though. All right, so you'll do a shot before the show's over, yeah. and then next... you'll have to pump it up to Wani next week, and, yes. and he'll try it. I will lie completely. I'll do one with you at the end of the show. All right, there we go. I will toast Dan Bernstein's double. Uh, that he is working today, and uh, th- I will thank you for it. We'll do one at the end of the show and give it a shot. Sounds like a plan. Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. Wani gave us a couple of great ones in there. The 360 that the Bears did, did at the mini buy yeah. was pretty good. And then my favorite, like, the, I had bigger fish to uh, had, deal with and then fry. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has to bread, right? Fil- had, fillet. I think he had to kill them first. He had well, to catch well, you them. Catch it. You're right. Your fillet. You got to. You know, if, ideally, you could do a, like a, an egg wash. Yeah. You know, sure. salt, pepper, egg wash. Maybe a little flour before the breadcrumbs. Yes. However you do it. You had a lot to do before you could even fry it. Right. Then you get around to frying. <laughs> the pan's got to be hot. Right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> MLB tries to market their stars. With food takes, you'll hear next on The Score. The Parkinson Spiegel Show. Doing it and doing it and doing it. Afternoons on The Score. See, it sounds like Beat It by uh, Michael Jackson, but I'm pretty sure that's Eat It by Weird Al Yeah, you can tell by the hand squeaks. Uh By Weird Al Yankovic. Because uh, we like to have fun here. And Major League Baseball is trying to get in on the fun business. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but I appreciate their efforts. You know those, like, fun social media videos that, you know, teams started to put out, like the Bears did, like that. Like, here, let's ask everybody a question as they're walking off the field, and we'll put one together. MLB did one with a whole bunch of different players, and it's their most 
outrageous food opinion. Okay, their most controversial food take. And one by one, you're going to hear several voices and their controversial food take. And I wonder, Dan Bernstein, what you and the listeners feel about these people and their takes. First up, Garrett Cole of the New York Yankees. Most controversial food take. I love bone marrow. That's not that controversial. It's not com- controversial yeah, who, at all. No, who doesn't? God, a lot of people. bone marrow and garlic confit on a, a nice toasted sourdough bread. Well, so relatable. I, I, but, <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> that is solid. Okay. Uh, you know, here's the thing. Garrett Cole probably, you know, a little freaked out by the bone marrow thing for a while, and now he's not. But oh, he's he's like the six year old who tries octopus for the first yeah, time. I really like octopus. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, here's Jared Walsh. Green beans are the worst food on the planet. Yeah, I don't think that's true. I have other green vegetables that I like less. Shane, you're with him. You think I green hate green beans? Hate I'll eat them. I like cooking them. Yeah, but I I, I don't I, think I don't like them. I think they're fine. I, would I don't say it was feel fine. strongly about that. I I don't even mind the ones out of the can. Ugh. 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 Those are the ones you can't have. I will say, you know what? I hate green bean casserole. Oh, yeah. Like, I horrible. love green oh, bean casserole. Oh, it's disgusting. Because of all the things they do to it, just to tr- they whip it and then they cream the green beans. Like, leave them alone. Just treat them, like, with respect. And the jerky onions over yeah. the top, and they bake it in the corningware. That's and all you like. Good. That's all you like. Aaron Judge's most controversial food take. If you fold your pizza or don't fold it, I don't fold it. You just got to gotta go for it. I can't get on the fold yet. He is so incredibly boring. What a dweeb. <laughs> we get it, dude. You're 6'7". Yeah. Like, you've had no challenges. Move over, Mike Trout. We've got another boring superstar. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. That is, whew, there's nothing there that's interesting, other than the fact that he destroys baseballs and is good at just about everything else, too. Uh, Manny Machado of the Padres. I don't like salad. Like, just eat some meat, some protein, some rice and beans, you know, like... Just, just don't get the greens. Put it in a smoothie if you want greens. <laughs> Put your greens in a smoothie if you want greens. None of these are controversial. I agree. Not a single one. If that's the way it was pitched, none of these are controversial. You know who else doesn't like salad? <laughs> right. Manny Machado's brother-in-law, Yonder Alonso. <laughs> that guy hasn't seen a salad in years. <laughs> we asked a bunch of what's your most controversial food opinion? I hate Jews. I mean, <laughs> wait. <laughs> Hold on that? a second. I didn't I, even know wait. they were food. <laughs> right. That's Right. Well, that, well, food opinion. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, here's a Diamondbacks prospect, Corbin Carroll. Cheese is gross. Cheese is gross. Shut up. Said Jesus saves. <laughs> no? Okay. Cheese is gross. Okay. Jesus gross. That's a different Jesus. Cheese is gross. That's, that's controversial. Kind of, but that's like a Brendan McCaffrey stealing his bit. <laughs> and Brian Gumble, I believe, also doesn't eat cheese. Oh, I, don't I always like... confuse the two. I know. It's very, very common. Hmm. The list of coincidences hmm. is endless. I don't like cheese. Hmm. I'm Brian Gumble. No, that's terrible. No, that's uh, Rick Camp. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. It's true. I used to I do a like good cheese. Brian Gumble. I, I don't like peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> Lars Newtbar, who is delicious in his own right. Pineapples on pizza. Pineapples on pizza, baby. That's my dude. So he likes it or doesn't like he it? He likes he it. He just stated it. He, he likes it, yes. He, he's he's oh. saying that it's a thing. 
I think he likes it. There was a smile on his face, okay. and he's my new favorite player. <laughs> Lars Nukbar. Lars Good Nukbar. player. Good player. Good, good player. And he's on Team Japan. You know that? He's on Team, did. He's on team Japan in the World Baseball Classic. Because he's part Japanese. I, I, that checks out. He really out. thinks so. Uh, <laughs> no drugs, no life, no wine, no women, no. Uh, Cole Tucker has a thought. I just don't think that, like, peppers, onions, and tomatoes should ever go in anything. That's ridiculous. Okay, that's wrong. That is, that is horrible. <laughs> Cole Tucker sucks, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's doing weird. all right. That's a little weird. <laughs> oh, Cole Tucker's married to Vanessa Hudgens. He oh, is doing all right. That is true. He can have his food however he wants. She probably knows not to put that stuff. How did this dude with a, a the perm pull Vanessa Hudgens? He really does. Looks like that. Uh, he looks he like a, Kenny G. And he was in the Pirates. Kenny yeah. G, who we think is my cousin. Are we sure about that? <laughs> I'm not 100 percent sure, but there is a there is a better chance than not that he and I are cousins. Wow. Speaking of Cole Tucker's hair, remember the conversation we had yesterday in transition about our wives' hair <laughs> yesterday? Yeah. And I told you that there was a moment where Christine got out of bed. And I was like, "You look like Robert Plant." And I, she la- I told her about it today. I sent her the picture. She's given me permission to share the picture. Oh, if we sweet. Want that. So, okay. But I think you got to get Beth to give it's you permission to share that. I didn't picture. take it. You didn't take it? I didn't take it. <sighs> That's too late. Okay. It's gone. It's, it's only I've got a snapshot in my mind. All right. I'll, I'll, that I cannot I thought share. you always had a camera set up in your bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Just so we can get evidence. He needs it. Uh, Carlos Correa of the Twins. I hate pickles. Pickles are not that good. I hate pickles. Pickles are not that good. All things pickled or just pickled cucumbers? I, I, I don't know if he's pickled anything? been around other things. I love pickles. Oh, God, it's perfect food. You remember the best pickle moment in the history of the score, don't you? When uh, I was talking with Barry Rosner. Yeah, he didn't know that pickles were cucumbers. Yeah, he had no idea. I was telling him, about, like, I, I, was telling him I really like these sweet and spicy cucumber or pickles that I'm having these days. He's like, it's amazing. They just, they just grow them like that. <laughs> and, I, and I had this slow realization that, that beca- he was serious. That became a Friday fung. Because of that, it became, I think it was called Who Knew? And it was embarrassing <laughs> things that you, you didn't realize until late in life. Yep. And Barry Rosner did not know that pickles and were cucumbers. One of them was my sister realizing that Mick Jagger wasn't a last name. <laughs> That's impossible. John Mick Jagger. Yep. <laughs> Wow. Um, and then Jeremy Pena, your World Series MVP. Donuts are good for you. <laughs> Donuts are good for you? He couldn't even spit it out? Trying to make the joke? Nah. Well, we know that Roberto Garza's super donuts are good for you. Those are extra nutritious. Those those were the donuts that, that were only for Mexicans, right? Yeah, Yonder Alonso has a truckload of them. <laughs> Look at all the strays that Yonder Alonso is catching. He's so fat, man. <laughs> he, just, he blew up. He, he did the oh. opposite of what offensive linemen do when they retire. Speaking of that, did you guys see Marquise Pouncey today? The uh, the yes. former Dolphin. Oh, yes, my God. Yeah, even, even that jacket doesn't fit him. And that's yes. his skinny jacket. I know. Yeah. He said that he and his brother both lost 70 pounds. That's because so many playing. NFL players are carrying unhealthy amounts of weight. That it was hurts. Mike Pouncey. Was, oh, that was thank Mike. you. I mean, uh, all these, all the offensive linemen could drop 100 pounds in, in a month. Because they sh- the human body isn't designed to be carrying all that around. I, would, I too, would like to drop 100 pounds in a month. Uh, coming up next, number 15 on my top 30 favorite ball players 
of the last 30 Chicago baseball season. Been looking forward to this one. I'm glad Bernsey's here for it. We'll do that next on The Score. He's got a chance. Go! We're counting down the days to opening day. Happy opening day. By celebrating some of Chicago baseball's all-time greats. There go number 400. But Big Frank, you can't put it on the board. Yes! Here comes the hook. Got it! 20 strikeouts! It's Matt Spiegel's top 30 favorite Chicago baseball players of the last 30 years. Matt Spiegel is one of the great baseball people, and not only in this town, but across the country. From Abreu. Sox win! Sox win! On a grand slam by Jose Abreu. To Big Z. Carlos Zambrano has no hit! The Houston Astros! Matt Spiegel counts us down to opening day. Wow, is that huge! Matt Spiegel's 30 players for 30 years. That's how you do it. On the Parkins and Spiegel Show on 670 The Score. These are my 30 favorite players. They're favorites. I use wins above replacements as a guide to make the batch. You got to be pretty good or else you don't even make the list. But then I'm judging them based on my own personal criteria, including vibes and teammateship. Number 16 yesterday got a lot of reaction. It was Lucas Giolito. But we go forward by going backwards. Number 15, it's our first first baseman. And nowhere near the last, it's Mark Grace. First base is cool. You're important. You have to be graceful and agile and quick. But you don't, have to, you don't have to be fast. You're usually tall and strong. You have to have personality, chatting up base runners and pitchers and coaches and fans. So you can be a little goofy, but you still end up having to be respected as the captain of the infield if you're any good. And Mark Grace was really good. He could pick it, never seemed out of position, And he was handsome and blonde, California cool, buddies with movie stars. When Mark Harmon was in town, you couldn't tell which was which. I know they had some fun. May of 93, season one in town for me. And Grace, coming off a great season, age 28, prime of his life, did something no Cub has done since. Cubs down four, bottom nine, two men on. Padres lead 5-1, two men on for the Cubs. There's a drive to right center field. Whoa, way back, back. And he does hit for the cycle. Mark Grace, a single, a double, a triple, a home run. It's now a 5-4 to four ball game. But don't go away, gang. The Cubs are falling back. That's one you see very rarely. Anybody hitting for the cycle, and Grace did it today. Mark Grace having a big, big day. Not many people in the history of baseball hit for the cycle. Jerry Coleman doing that game. And no one has hit for the cycle since as a Cub. I was here for the final eight seasons for Grace. In that time, he won four gold gloves, made the All-Star game three times, hit over 306 times, a little bit of pop two, double-digit homers five times. And him and Sosa and those 90s teams were crazy fun. The historic day against the Brewers when Sammy hits both 61 and 62, it was Grace who sent the crowd home happy. Two up, two down. Grace sends a crowd. Deep right. The list is my favorites. It was easy to like him. He had fun. He said stuff. He ripped his teammates and expected them to take it. He could take it, usually. He told this story later on about Greg Maddox, just to show you the personality that was. 
Oh, man, I hate to do this, but I love Greg. He was fidgeting around on the mound, and he was acting like he had pulled his groin. So I was like, oh, my God, here's our bread and butter, our Cy Young winner. I was oh, my God, Greg, what happened? What happened? He says, Gracie, stand there. I said, what are you talking about? He said, just stand right in front of me. I said, why? He said, uh, well, in, in lack of a better term, uh, he was uh, kind of aroused on the mound. Uh, he, he wasn't kind of aroused. He, he was extremely aroused. I'm the wrong guy to tell that, you know. So I started busting a gut right on the mound. And I just looked at him and said, dude, you love the pitch, don't you? <laughs> That's Grace with Dan Patrick. He would bum smokes from uh, people hanging out on their stoop after he left the game. He would hang out and just uh, very, very fun. Burns, you've told the uh, the McDonald's story probably too many times, but you lived through Grace, covered some of I Grace. I enjoyed covering him with the exception of having to be around the lit cigarette for the post-game interview. It was always usually a pack of Winstons that he would have at the top of his locker. I remember b- being in the clubhouse before a game, and you know that the team would set out bats and balls to be signed for whatever, and each guy would he'd go over to this, the card table and he'd get out a Sharpie and he'd sign, 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 and there were some bats there. And Grace is about to sign this bat and then he picks it up he puts the cap on the sharpie and he picks up the bat and he turns around and he to anybody's like look at this i'm like what he goes look at the grain on this this is a this is a six grainer they want me to sign this i'm not signing this i'm hitting with this (laughs) and he took the bat and then because the 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 factotum from the marketing department whatever is standing there he's like you can i'll give him a game use i'm taking this bat because the person didn't understand like this the intern or whatever's like well you're supposed to sign these bats and they're all the same again he's like Uh, don't worry about it i'll figure it out this would be a waste if i just gave this away as some sort of a a promotion because i'm hitting with this bat oh that's awesome and everyone's like yeah because he 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 really with with his equipment that was his livelihood and he was making sure he didn't lose that one freaking hitter man mlb leader in hits for the whole decade of the 90s just he and pete rose have led a decade in hits and not made it to the hall of fame grace's career overall with the three seasons in arizona is definitely comfortably into the hall of the very good which was your invention and maybe has his own wing in the hall of the very good he had his issues obviously and they caught up to him maybe during a season uh, here and there, and certainly at the end. But he was consistently one of the very best players in town for his entire Cubs career. And him and Big Frank were the first baseman of record, something that has happened multiple times in Cub and Sox history to have true greatness at first at the same time. In his Cubs career, 2,201 hits. He's fifth all-time in the franchise in hits. 10th all-time with a 386 on base percentage, 7th in franchise history in at-bats and plate appearances, ninth in runs scored, 2nd in doubles behind Ernie Banks. And unlike his teammate Ryan Sandberg, I was lucky enough to be here for 8 years of grace, so he is higher on the list than Rhino was. Um, offense, I give him an 8. Defense, I give him an 8. Uh, oh, wait, I didn't, no, this is the, the wrong thing. Anyway, he adds up to a 42. Teammateship was a eight vibes was actually a nine memorable moments i gave him an eight adds up to a 42 for mark grace number 15 on the list can you damn good player can you name his most similar player statistically bill buckner bill buckner's actually eighth that's not a bad guess Mm. it's keith hernandez oh wow sure there you go that's a hell of a player right there. And very similar in that, you know, both a singles singles hitters and doubles hitters at first base where you're used to having more slugging. 
his war and his defensive war not very high because of the value of of first base, among other things. The slugging value, because his by B war he is at forty six point four career. The average Hall of Fame first baseman uh-huh. sixty five career war. So that's a lot lower. Any Hall of Famers in the uh, similar hitters? One. He is number five, and that would be Enos Country Slaughter. Oh, my God. Put in the Hall of Fame at a time when the standards were different. But the other names in there, John Olerud, Wally Joyner, wow. Al Oliver. You think John Olerud still wears a helmet around the house now? <laughs> Just for fun? Not on his head. At, at, that's oh, one of, a condom. At, that's one of the best Ricky Henderson stories of all time, right? Ricky Henderson... Uh, gets traded somewhere. I think it was Toronto. And he's like, he sees John Olerud yes. and wears the helmet when he's in, he, in the he, field. He got traded to the Mets. Traded to the Mets. Sees John Olerud, he wearing the helmet in the field. And Ricky says, oh, man, you wear a helmet in the field? I had a teammate somewhere else. I forget where. He wore a helmet in the field, too. And John Olerud says, yeah, man, that was me <laughs> in Toronto. That's like the time that, that Ron Santos saw Ruben Cavedo and couldn't remember who he reminded him of, and eventually Pat Hughes figured out that he meant he reminded him of Ruben Cavedo. <laughs> uh, I love dumb baseball people. Spinks, a little trivia for you. Yes. Which MLB player hit his first career home run off of Mark Grace? I know that answer. Hey, I know you would. It's David Ross. Very good. Right, because Brenly threw out Grace to pitch, and Ross homered off him. That's absolutely true. Having fun with this, and we'll do number 14 tomorrow. Speaks and Dan Bernstein is in for Danny Parkins. When we come back, it's 5 o'clock on a Thursday, and Bernstein is here. Hello. We happen, How's it going? Happen I'm to still have here. a phenomenal and relevant sports who you crapping to throw at Bernsey in a moment on the score.